only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Second verse, or for this week, third verse, same as the first in terms of Mother Nature's cooperation in the month of May in Indianapolis. It was David Letterman that said that the thing that was great about May in Indianapolis is all of a sudden it's where everybody came out of the woodwork and spring broke and you could hear the race cars Going. Kurt Vonnegut, of course, said that Indianapolis was 364 days of miniature golf per year, and the 365th was the Indianapolis 500 mile race. A lot going on in this city, but it is absolutely gorgeous in the best time of year to be here in the capital of Indiana. Good evening to you. My name is Jake Query. Sam Rumsa is running the big board for us tonight. He is in the cockpit, so to speak, and Mike Thompson. Mike, I would say that in in this particular scenario, you really are the driver, and I'm kind of the riding mechanic. That's fair, right? Oh, well, that's a good. That's a pretty good analogy. I like that. I, I will accept that tonight. So, based on co-winners, when you look at Indianapolis 500 co-winners, um, who would you say is the most obscure co-winner? Ooh. Well, I think Floyd Davis. Floyd Davis has always been a little bit obscure because he never led a lap. Um, Joe Boyer, uh, Bo- Boyer, I don't think so because Boyer was a Boyer was a pretty accomplished driver. LL Davis, I I think it's Davis. Okay, so that makes me the Davis of the program, right? No, no, I wouldn't say that. I think I, I think you're selling yourself a little short there. But I, I think if you're talking about riding mechanic, I mean, if you want to be a riding mechanic, I mean, I, I could be Ralph DePalma and you could be Peter DePaulo because then you could sing back home again in Indiana. For <laughs> and do it just as well, right? Exactly. <laughs> as we've learned from this program. Uh, hey, good evening to you. Uh, first off, would like to say thank you for those who have been listening to. And Mike, you have done a phenomenal job of responding to people on social media who have had positive comments about the show, which we appreciate. My friend Joe at the Meridian Restaurant, a fantastic n- – listen, it's the James Tavern of today because it is exquisite. No, it's a fantastic restaurant, and when I found out that um, my mom had lunch there today and said that Joe had mentioned the general manager of the Meridian, that he listens to the program and enjoys it, and I thought, well, that, kidding aside, is a huge compliment because you're talking about some of the finer things in the city – so to have that kind of endorsement is much appreciated. And, Mike, I know that you uh, were very flattered and appreciative also of comments that people were making to you yesterday. Yeah, we've had some wonderful, wonderful comments, and I, I try to respond to all of them I see. So, you know, I keep them coming, and and we've gotten some great suggestions for shows. And, in fact, I think tonight we're, we're doing a show that uh, was suggested to you on, on text as well. So I appreciate the fact that we're getting so much uh, so much response. You know, during the course of doing this, and we'll get right to it here because we have a lot of audio to get to tonight. Mike Thompson's audio library opens up a glimpse into hearing the voices of those sometimes fatigued, sometimes incredulous, sometimes overjoyed drivers who have pulled themselves into racing immortality by winning the Indianapolis 500-mile race. So we thought what we'd do tonight is simply play some of the greatest Victory Lane interviews 
Victory Circle interviews, whichever way. I think Victory Circle is what they prefer to call it today. Uh, from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And, Mike, we begin tonight with a driver who I think sometimes gets lost in lore. When we talk about some of the great drivers of yesteryear, one of them that I think, and maybe it's because, you know, when he piloted his machine in really a pretty dominant race in 1950 to victory circle, to the checkered flags, to the swig of milk, Johnny Parsons did so by doing it in a race that did not run all 200 laps. And maybe that's why it gets lost in lore a little bit. But, of course, he also is the only man to have his name misspelled on the Borg Warner Trophy. So there's some fun trivia that goes into Johnny Parsons' win back in 1950. That's correct. But you're right about Johnny Parsons. Uh, I think he does, unfortunately, get overlooked a little bit at times. But let's not forget that Johnny Parsons came into the 1950 race as the national champion. With, I mean, he won the championship in 1949 – basically as i mean as a rookie uh because it was his first full season in the series so i mean johnny parsons this is not some person who just you know came in happened to win a race or two and then was gone i mean this this guy was the national champion the year in 1949 so this was an extremely accomplished driver it was really his well it was the second year running in the indianapolis 500 though for johnny parsons and he was in car number one as mike had talked about because the wins friction proofing machine showing that he was the national champion the year before. He started in position number five. This is how it sounded when he brought it home four spots higher. Will not be a 500-mile sweepstakes today because the race has just been called at the conclusion of 138 laps because of a tremendous downpour of rain that came all of a sudden. As we've reported to you earlier in the day here from Indianapolis, we've had pretty good weather. Then all of a sudden, out of the west came very low-hanging dark clouds, and they just dumped a lot of rain on us, and the race had to be called. It, of course, is an official race after it has gone 101 laps, and that was so voted by the drivers yesterday. So everybody was uh, prepared for this sort of thing, although we weren't prepared for the sudden shift in the weather. Johnny Parsons led 115 of the 138 total laps in which he was scored. That was Bill Slater on the call. Johnny Parsons then, of course, got one of the great thrills for any driver, talking to, as we call it, radio doinks after he got out of the car. Here's how it sounded when he celebrated, as we talked about, kind of an unusual victory. Here we are now down at Victory Lane, and Johnny Parsons is taking a great big kiss from Miss Barbara Sandwich. And now we're going to move over here with our microphone while Wilbur Shaw moves in with this water from Wilbur Silver Goblin. Wilbur, would you help us move in there to Johnny so we can get him on coast to coast? Another great big kiss coming in here from Barbara Stanwyck. She's really hanging on. That's the fourth one she's given now. Johnny, seven other words. Coast to coast, our mutual microphone. Well, I'm awfully glad that we won the race. But as I said before, I'm sorry it rained. But that's about all I got to say. You're kind of tired after that race and after those kisses. Yes. Oh, I love the kisses. Are you going to run that again? Yeah. All right, let's have one for the microphone here, for the television cameras here, and our microphone coast to coast on YouTube, shall we? Okay. All right, and there's Barbara Stanwyck over there. She's giving Wilbur a great big wink or two, and also several kisses for Johnny Parsons. Now she has her arms around him now for the MGM movie cameras, as well as all of the photographers down here from the various press services, the various news 
which you'll be seeing around the country in the next several weeks. And Johnny Parsons really looks happy, dressed here in his blue outfit and his yellow winds friction proofing special. And the big Borg Warner trophy is right back here behind them. And now they're getting more pictures of Johnny Parsons, Barbara Stanwyck, and Wilbur Shaw. And these photographers just can't be satisfied. More and more pictures all the time. And Johnny Parsons really looks just as clean and, and just as ambitious and anxious to win the races before he started. Now he's shaking hands with the boys in his group. And a great big kiss goes also here to some of the fellas in the crew who've helped bring this wind friction-proofing special, the 1949 AAA champion Johnny Parsons, to victory in the 500-mile Memorial Day race. That's the story from Victory Lane. Parsons would go on to become, after his racing days were over with, the chief steward for USAC Midget Division. On the West Coast throughout the 1970s, he passed away at the age of 66 in 1984. That's how it sounded when he won the Indianapolis 500-mile race, the 34th running, even though it was not 500 miles, back in 1950. Two years after that was when Sid Collins became the chief announcer of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network. As we talked about, that was Bill Slater you heard commentating about the victory in 1950 for Johnny Parsons when the rains came. 1952, Troy Rutman was the winner. He is still, for that fact, the youngest winner of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. But he won the race, and a race that truthfully... Mike, I think one would say, is one of those, and no disrespect, obviously, to Troy Rutman, who was a tremendous champion and, and you know, one of the great figures in the history of the race. But that was another one of those, and we often see this, where you look at the score, the box score of a race, and you think, you know, the guy that won wasn't necessarily the best car over the course of the day. One could certainly make a strong case that 1952, Bill Vukovic was the one that those in attendance thought probably for the majority of the race was going to be the winner. I agree with that, in but uh, I will also say that um, a lot of people say because of the fact Vukovic at the end of the race had a steering problem, ended up brushing up against the wall uh, very, very close to the end of the race. But uh, having talked to Donald several times about this, Donald is of the opinion that uh, Troy Rutman at the end of the race was closing dramatically on Vukovic and might have caught him anyway and might have still pulled off and won the race. So that would have been a, a finish for the ages potentially, which we never we never got to see or, or uh, hear what would have happened uh, because of what happened with Vukovic. But you're right. I mean, Vukovic was the dominant car all day, but certainly near the end, uh, Ru Troy Rutman was, was catching him. And Troy Rutman might have caught him and passed him by the end of the race anyway. Well, Vukovic got his day nonetheless. It came a year later on May 30th of 1953 in the 37th Indianapolis 500-mile race. Bill Vukovic, in dominating fashion, led twice in the race for a total of 195 laps. And then he won his first Indianapolis 500. He's been gone about a minute. He should be coming down the straightaway. Here he comes, getting the check. He gets a tremendous cheer from the crowd. He waves the crowd as he goes by. Car number 14, Bill Vukovic, has won the 1953 500-mile race. And so I don't recall, Mike, you had mentioned, for those that are unfamiliar, there is a very famous photo of a very dirty and clearly exhausted Bill Vukovic in his garage after the race. Now, was that 53 or 54? That's actually 54. That's one of the misnomers uh, that people believe because 53 was so incredibly hot 
um, people b believe that that photo was taken in 53. It wasn't. It actually was taken in 54. 54 was not as hot from an air temperature standpoint, but it was incredibly humid. So actually, there was as many relief drivers in 54, if not more, than there were in 53 because of the humidity. So in 1953, which is what you just heard, Bill Vukovic got his first of what ultimately would become two Indianapolis 500 wins. He did so at an average speed of 127 0.7 miles an hour that's just shy of four hours three hours 53 minutes and one second and then of course he was interviewed about his win Relay, we're right next to the car driven by billy Vukovic, the winner of the 1953 500 mile race he's accepting congratulations from wilbur shaw wilbur's taking his gloves off right now and billy's face and arms are really uh, covered with grime and soot and dirt in the windshield of this car as well. And all the conversation you're hearing in the background, of course, is coming through the microphone, and he's taking a great big long gulp out of this silver cup with his water from Wilbur engraved on him. We're going to give him a chance to rest and get his breath, and then we're going to have a word for our coast-to-coast -coast audience for him. As soon as he gets this strap out, want to give uh, Billy a chance to get his hat off, which he's doing right now. He's taking the helmet off, and the thing is really scarred, and boy, does he look like he's had a day out here. Wilbur Shaw went through a few comments. His wife, Esther, is right here to whisper a few words. He's going to give a great big kiss to his wife. He's sitting up here in the back of this car, and he's going to give that kiss, and we're going to wait a few seconds, folks, and we're right next to the car before we talk to Billy Vukovic, the winner of this year's 500-mile race. He's going to give his wife a kiss over here. He's taking a look at Jane Greer on this side. He's pointing to his ears as he can't hear a single thing. There goes the big kiss, Master. Now one for Jane Greer. And that's a long one, too. And now they're both going to give Billy a kiss at the same time for the benefit of the photographers. The big board Warner trophies here and back. And now Billy. Billy, he can't hear a thing. He's pointing to his ears. He's taking another great big gulp out of his silver goblet. It says water for Wilbur. And now, Bill, if we can, Esther, would you tell Bill to move over here? So we can get a word from Bill Coach. Okay, coach to coach, can you say just a word about how you feel on winning the race? Oh, it feels all right. Everybody's happy to win. Bill, did you think you'd want relief any time in the race? Think you want relief any time in the race? No. Never want to relief. There's an Iron Man, folks, and he's really tired and he can't hear a single thing. And now the newsreel people want to take a picture. And I think I'll get a word from Miss Jane Greer here saying to my right. Is this a thrill for you? I just struck oil here. <laughs> you just struck oil. That's what the best comments today, Jane. Thank you very much. So a couple of interesting things about that interview and the other one we just heard from 1950, that's Sid Collins doing those interviews. Even though he was the chief announcer uh, by 1953, he would actually let someone else call the finish of the race while he went downstairs uh, and went to Victory Lane to do the interviews. So that was a little bit interesting how that would work out. A couple other things you hear in these interviews. One, you don't hear any mention of the milk because at that point, the water for Wilbur was a bigger tradition at that point uh, than the milk almost was. Uh, Wilbur Shaw had a little bit of a, like a small, I don't know how to describe it. It was a small like chalice almost, and he would fill it up with really cold water and they would hand the, the, the water to the, the winning driver. And, and it was it was the water for Wilbur chalice basically. And they would drink the, the cold water out of that. So you, you hear that how important that was uh, to the driver to get to drink out of the, the water for Wilbur cup. And uh, one other thing I wanted to mention in 1953, Sid Collins actually was got burned in Victory Lane um, by he had his leg up against the the winning car, the the one of the pipes. So while trying to get the interviews, he had his leg up against uh, 
the pipe and actually burned his leg with how hot the pipe was um, and still did the interview. And you don't know that he's actually, you know, got a fairly serious burn on his leg out of that interview. That's some pretty serious dedication, right? I mean, honestly, I'm not even trying to be funny. Like to, to be able to carry through could not have been, um, I'm sure, a fun situation. But again, this was at the fledgling era of the radio network and Sid Collins is the chief announcer. And as you can tell, there was so much activity going on after the race. Now, Bill Vukovic went back and won again in 1954. And then I think everyone knows what happened in 1955. Bill Vukovic was a driver who, and I think one of the things, Mike, and I, I, I say this with the greatest respect, this is none of this is meant to be flippant. But I think it is interesting to point out or to clarify is probably the best way of saying it. In 1955, Bill Vukovic was, of course, the two-time defending winner at that point. And after completing 56 laps, was involved in an accident where, of course, he was fatally injured. And there were a number of cars involved in that. And... At the time that he was fatally injured, they announced it during the course of the race, and Sid Collins made the announcement over the radio network airwaves as the race was progressing that Bill Vukovic did not survive his injuries. And in doing so, Sid Collins in a, I believe, Freudian slip, and I think what happened, Mike was he was thinking about the near miss of 1952 that we just talked about. And he said, Bill Vukovic, winner, and I'm paraphrasing how he said it, but he said, winner of the Indianapolis 500 three times, and then he paused and said, almost, because I think he was trying to reference the fact that he was so close in 1952 to being what would have been the first of three as opposed to back-to-back wins. However, because Bill Vukovic was leading the race at the time of his accident and was, of course, one that people had become accustomed to hearing as a dominant driver, I think that people thought that he was referencing that Bill Vukovic would have won in 1955 had he not been injured. And I think that is not the case. I guess we won't know that for certain, but I think it's safe to say that. But... After the race, and Mike, I want you to kind of set this up. Um, we'll listen to Bob Swikert win and then come back. And Mike, I want you to set up kind of what was, I'm sure, you know, just an uncertain and almost awkward celebration or lack thereof afterwards. But first, here's Bob Swikert in the John Zink special in the 1955 Indy 500. We can't see him yet, but here he comes down. I'm sure that beautiful pink car, the checkered flag is out. Bill Vandewater, the starter, holds it high, waves it, and there's Bob Swiker, the winner of the first-time annual 500-mile race. And again, that's how it sounded in 1955, but... You know, Mike, it was a different era then in the fact that it's not like Bob Swikert had automatic radio with his team to be able to be updated on what was going on and... You know, you would imagine that he knew there had been an incident and an accident, and I'm sure he knew, obviously, that Vukovic was not still in the race, but he didn't know his condition. And I think this probably – take me through what we're about to hear here. Well, that's correct. I mean, he, he knew there had been a serious accident. Obviously, there had been cars that had overturned on the backstretch, uh, and Ed Elysian, 
who was also from uh, California, had stopped on the backstretch to try to render aid uh, to Vukovic. So he knew that there something had happened, um, clearly, uh, and he didn't have that information. As you said, there was no way to get him that information in that era. There was no two-way radios or anything like that. So his concern right away, getting out of the car, was, you know, who who was hurt and, and the severity of who was hurt. And, and you hear in this interview he does – uh, in victory lane, that's his first concern. I mean, let's let's keep in mind he just won the Indianapolis 500, but his first concern is for his fellow competitors, and he wants to know because he knows this has been a, this was a serious accident. You know who was hurt. Here's how it sounded May 30th, 1955. Now to victory lane and Charlie Brockman. And down at victory lane, it's a scene of jubilation as Bob Swigert is being congratulated by his pit crew. And it's, they're yelling and screaming, and, and Jack Zink, one of the car owners, and Bob has just been kissed by his wife, Doris. Dinosaur is moving in. Dinosaur is moving in now, and he is, she is going to kiss. But Dinosaur kisses Bob Swikert, and he's got lipstick all over Bob's face. He can't hear a thing for a minute, so we'll wait until he until he has, has a chance to get his uh, wits about him. He's going to get now uh, a drink from the cup. He is, he's deafened by the uh, uh, roar of the engine for 200 laps. He's getting his senses now. And, Bob, can you hear us now, boy? Can you hear us coming in? Who got in? hurt? Uh, Bob, uh, how, did, how did you feel about this? Who five got hurt? Bob Swigert now is being congratulated by his wife. And he has the uh, Borg Warner trophy on the back of the car. And... Uh, Bob has a, a drink now from, from the Wilbur water as, as he's getting a drink now of ice water. Recovering just a little bit. And now, Bob, we want to get a few words with you. How do you feel about this win? Oh, wonderful. I, uh, uh, all the time you worry about the machine staying together. This is the first race I've ever finished here. Uh, I was just asking who got hurt of my Johnny Boyd. I saw his car upside down on the back stretch, and I was real worried about him. Uh, well, John, uh, Johnny's all right, uh, Bob. And uh, Bob, along about 150 laps, you were pointing violently at the rear end of your car. Uh, was there any trouble, major difficulties then? No, I just wanted to know who, how many seconds the guy was behind me. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, at that point, he was running about 30 seconds, and then those cars uh, went into the pits, and you had a lap and a half, so you knew you had it pretty well conquered at the end. Yeah, but we still, I flipped over on reserve on my reserve fuel tank, and we were still sweating it out. <laughs> well, you didn't have much fuel left. Not much. <laughs> well, Bob, congratulations to you. Thank you, Charlie. On a very Charlie. fine drive here today. Well, we have a few words from Bob Swigert. It is mass mayhem down here. As Dinosaur now is getting in to get a, a, a picture with the winner, Bob Swigert. And Dinosaur, the thing that's interesting about that, and I mean this is no disrespect also, Mike, but... From a radio standpoint, you know, there was the scene of jubilation, but clearly for Bob Swikert, it was a scene of concern. And you could tell that they didn't want to necessarily divulge in that moment what the listeners would have already known, assuming they had listened to the entire race. But tells you a lot about Bob Swikert that that was his first concern when he got out of the car. And then, of course, in the ultimate, I guess you'd say, ironic tragedy, uh, Bob Swigert himself was fatally injured in a sprint car crash in Salem on June 17th of 19. 19- 
56. Uh, speaking of the 50s, one more from the era. Mike certainly knows this. One of my favorites, Mike, and you know that, a guy in which you and I probably uh, most solidified our friendship in talking about, talking about Jimmy Bryan, who was one of the real racing favorites back in 1958. Yeah, and I, this, was, this was a sentimental choice. I had to pick this one out because of, of your, your love for Jimmy Bryan and, and you know my admiration, especially for Jimmy Bryan. So this, this was a special one as well. And, and this one is another one that's uh, you know, tinged, unfortunately tinged with, with tragedy because of the loss of Pat O'Connor on the first lap. And, and Jimmy Bryan is, is concerned about that as well in his, in his post-race interview. First, let's hear Jimmy Bryan winning the 42nd Indianapolis 500. Jim, it's a thrill for us, as always, to see a winner. And there's the checkered flag for Jimmy Bryan, champion of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And you can hear the crowd here, a throng of over 180,000 souls who have watched the race today, complete with a very bad start, a very tight race, a very thrilling finish. And Jimmy Bryan, USAC national champion, three times champion at Monza, now winning the one he really wanted, as everyone does, the greatest spectacle in speed here at the Indianapolis Speedway. The cigar smoke and always joking Jimmy Bryan of Phoenix, Arizona. Here's how it sounded when he got out after winning the 1958 Indy 500. And now waving to the photographers, but so far we have not been able to uh, get through to Jimmy because he still cannot hear too well. Jimmy, the winner of the Monza 500, three times national champion, and he's won everything there is to win. I think perhaps now Jimmy can, can hear us. Jimmy, how do you feel about this 500 win? Well, I feel real wonderful. I, I still think I'm dreaming. But the only thing that makes it bad is the crash down there on the first lap. As yet, I know nothing of it, but uh, I know it was bad. So it does mar the victory today, believe me. Well, Jimmy, no matter what happens, you will go down in the ranks of all-time greats. What are your plans for the rest of the year, or is it too soon to think about that? I think I'll rest a while now. <laughs> you certainly have a well-deserved rest. How about that machine? He's being congratulated now by Raymond Firestone. And he's looking up at the cameraman now. He gets a cigar, his first cigar since winning the race. <laughs> he's going to get a light from Frenchie Soroy's, the cigar-smoking champion from Phoenix, Arizona, now getting his first cigar. And he puffs very contentedly. He's won practically every race. This is the 19th national championship win for Jimmy uh, Bryan. Now they're moving in to congratulate him. He's waving to the cameraman. We're going to move out of this crush down here, although I must say that the victory lane this year has been as well-controlled as ever. Unfortunately, Jimmy Bryan would also be fatally injured in a racing accident. It happened in Langhorne on June 19th of 1960. Speaking of the 60s, that brought us a legendary name that got his first taste of victory circle at Indianapolis. A couple of world champions still upcoming and a couple of centennial winners. We'll explain when we come back to Beyond the Bricks. And Shock wants you to enjoy the fun of the 500 all year long with these spiffy racing sets. Will you just look at those little hummers go? And between now and June 6th, all Ed Shock's race sets, slot cars, and accessories are 20% off the regular price. Not just here, but 20% off in all Ed Shock's hobby shops. Eagledale Plaza, Broad Ripple, Glendale Galleria, Greenwood Park, and Keystone Square up in Carmel. And you know, these little cars go almost a thousand scale miles an hour. So, eat your heart out, Rick Mears, and thanks for visiting Ed Shocks. I was a huge fan of Ed Shocks' toy and hobby. Loved that Mike pulled that. Ed Shock, by the way, 
who passed away at the age of 73 years ago, was a veteran of World War II and the Korean War before he became the owner of the different toy stores and magic shops throughout the north side of Indianapolis. A lot of fun. 1960 Indianapolis 500, by the way, folks, was also a lot of fun for people that were there. The 44th annual running of the event was one that people were captivated by because there were five different drivers who led the race, but none of them, not named Jim Rathman or Roger Ward, led in the last 100 laps. It was one of the great duels that came down to it, and Jim Rathman held off in the last three laps, Roger Ward, to go on and win the race in his Ken Paul special. But he noticed that Roger Ward was a little off pace. We'll get to that, but here's how it sounded when Rathman won the race. All right, Jim Rathman just kind of taking it easy here. Boy, I don't know what happened. Roger Ward is really biting fingernails if he could. Uh, and uh, here he comes now. Gee, he's dropping back considerably. Okay. Here's the checkered flag for Jim Rathman, the winner of the 44th annual 500-mile race. Here we are in victory lane for the glorious phase of this most spectacular finish of the 500-mile automobile race. And the pit crew and the men are driving, gathering around Pat, uh, Jim Rathman here. And Jim has a, a big ice-cold bottle of milk, and let's talk with him. Just a minute, Jim. Leave it on. The pit crew is really gathering around him, and Julie Pratt, the queen of the 500 festival, has put the garland of flowers around his neck and just a minute he's going to have another drink of that ice cold milk. Jim, just a minute, here we are Jim, right over here. Jim, how do you feel after that most spectacular finish? Pretty good. What happened to Ward? Out of gas. You and Roger really put on a spectacular finish today. Thank you. What do you got to say to the Here's my wife. Here she is. There's Jim's wife, and she is doing the honors of congratulating him and saluting him. And here, Julie Brad is doing the same thing. Here's a big floral offering, and they are pink carnations with a beautiful pink ribbon on them. And now Jim in his blue uniform. Everybody seems to like everybody in the racing fraternity is congratulating Jim Rathman, who has been a bridesmaid at the 500 a long time, and this was victory was a long time in coming. Are you tired, Jim? What? Are you more tired than you were in the other races? No, not too bad. Could you go another race today? Oh, I think if we had to, yes. What were you thinking about the last five laps, Jim? I was thinking that Roger Ward had a little more steam than what I did, and I figured it was all lost. My right front tire was down to the court, and I didn't know what to do. I just figured had, uh, Roger had a little more horsepower than I did, and every time he wanted to, he could pass me. So I didn't know what to do. And now here's Mrs. Rathman. What do you think about all this, Mrs. Rathman? I think it's too good to believe. <laughs> Looks like I'd like to have a little grime around the lip here from that big gun. Uh, I sure yes, do. You, you don't mind about that now, do you? No, I don't mind doing it at all. Well, congratulations, Jim, and uh, you're a very popular winner this year. Did you see all those people getting up and cheering as you came in Victory Lane? Yes, I did, and I want to thank every one of them. They really make me feel good. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jim Rathman. Jim Rathman won the Indianapolis 500 in his 11th start. He had previously been the runner-up on three occasions. A year later, the guy that got to victory lane is one, Mike, that people would become very, very familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we were lucky to have a great two-man duel there between Rathman and Ward in 60, and, and then in 1961, another great two-man duel, this time between A.J. Foyt and Eddie Sachs. 
Sid, here he comes. Here right comes to you. the checkered flag. Bill Vanderwater is getting set to wave it, and he is going to wave it now. He does for A.J. Foyt, winner of the Golden Anniversary 500-mile race. One of the most thrilling, surprising, exciting finishes ever. And now the checkered flag for Eddie Sachs right behind A.J. Foyt. Let's see if we can move right in here and get a talk to A.J. A.J., did you have Sachs figured for that next pit stop? I sure did. I, I was planning on really finishing second. I figured first place was all over with. We fought awful hard, but when she started running out of fuel, I almost started crying. So that's the breaks of the game. Well, we had you clocked at 15 seconds on that last one. That's pretty good style. Thank you, and I want to thank my pit crew, because if it wasn't for my pit crew, I sure wouldn't have won this race. They did a terrific job. It was an error that we didn't put enough fuel in, but that's a gamble you take so you can run fast. Anyway, I made the stop for fuel, and my fuel man, Frank Catania, did a terrific job, and I want to thank him. And God was just with us, and it's our day. Thank you. Who had you picked for your closest competitor when you went out on the track this morning? Well, actually, there's about ten guys here that go real hard. Uh, I figured Jim Rathman, Jim Hurtabees, and uh, Roger Ward would really be the boys to fight, including Eddie Sachs. And uh, it's just the breaks in the game, and boy, I'll tell you. Well, A.J., congratulations to you on a wonderful job and a great victory. Thank you. A.J. Foyt, there you is. Whoops, there he is, the nation's number one driver who wins here at Indianapolis. Roger Ward and Parnelli Jones would win the next two years before A.J. Foyt picked up win number two in 1964. And, Mike, then in 1965, I guess, cue up music because it was the British invasion that came over here in Indianapolis. Yes, and this was uh, this was a personal pick of mine because, of obviously, this is my all-time favorite driver. And this is actually some very, very rare audio. Very, very rare to uh, to have this. So I wanted to make sure everybody got to hear this tonight. This is Jim Clark winning. And then Jim Clark, again, in the Lotus powered by Ford in 1965, the winner of the 49th Indianapolis 500. And here he comes. And here is a checkered flag for Jimmy Clark of Doom, Scotland, winner of the 1965 Indianapolis 500-mile race. Jim, may we congratulate you very, very much, and uh, it looked like an easy race. I don't mean that belittlingly. Did it go as smoothly as you had hoped? Well, there was no race was ever easy, but uh, I must say it went as smoothly as I'd ever hoped, and uh, the car ran beautifully throughout. And could, could we ask you, uh, shall we? Yes, please, come in. Come right on in. Uh, your... Um, your fuel consumption and pit stops, they went out flat. How much were you carrying in the tank, maximum? Oh, I'm not too sure. Around 60 somewhere. And you made all, as, just as many as you wished. Uh, you had no extra space. The race completely as planned. There was no, no hitch whatever. Now, you had an opportunity to uh, go on the Grand Prix circuit. Uh, we had a Monaco race, uh, Graham Hill, I believe, won yesterday. You chose not to compete there. Is that a measure of the importance of this particular event, at least this year, for you? Well, I don't know. It's uh, probably partly that and probably partly a bit of determination in that uh, this is my third attempt. And uh, I don't know. I don't really believe the third time lucky thing, but uh, I'm beginning to believe it today. One more question for you, Jim, and that is, can we expect you back here at Indianapolis now? Well, that's another year away. We'll think about that one. Another year away. Thank you very much. Please, I'll let, I'll let you all get in for the pictures here. 
And the answer was yes. Jim Clark returned the next year. He was the runner-up to Graham Hill, whose name you heard referenced there in 1966. Jim Clark, the Scotsman, not only the favorite driver of Mike Thompson, but also of Dario Franchitti. When we come back, a couple of notable anniversary wins and another one of Mike Thompson's favorites, who he and I talked about earlier today, is just a flat-out smooth-looking driver that had to go 505 miles. We'll explain when we come back to Beyond the Bricks. In 1994, Jacques Villeneuve was a rookie at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Late in the race when Alan Sir Jr. and Emerson Fittipaldi were dueling and Emerson Fittipaldi hit the wall, it moved or cycled Villeneuve into the second position. He seemed happy with that with the restart and brought the car home in second place. Then a year later in 1995, he had gotten penalized. He was two laps down. Thanks to a couple of circumstances, he made up the laps. He found himself running second when it was Scott Goodyear that passed the pace car. And the Canadian driver Jacques Villeneuve, the countryman of Scott Goodyear, won the Indianapolis 500. The checkered flag is waving and Jacques Villeneuve wins the 1995 Indianapolis 500. The youngest driver in the field at 24 years of age has won at Indianapolis. Jack, first of all, tell us about your emotions when you were two laps down with the penalty. Uh, I was really, really unhappy and... Uh... I think I was swearing a little bit, actually, but, um, no, I didn't know I was in the lead when the yellow fell, and uh, all I was trying to do was uh, get back to, to the pack, and, and everybody was flying back the pace car, and I didn't see it trying to stop me, so, uh, you know, but at, at that point, I thought, you know, that, you know that's it, there was, we, we can get a few points, uh, but then the car was really, really good, and uh, the team did a terrific job. Let's talk about the team, because the teamwork on, on the pit crews and the pit stops, it was just incredible. They, they got you back in the hunt. Yeah, the team did an unbelievable job. Uh, I stalled it in two pits and uh, in two pit stops, and the first pit stop, uh, I started to go before the, the, ref the refueling was done, and they just did an unbelievable job. And uh, we, discussed, we talked with uh, Barry and Tilney during the, uh, during the run, and uh, we, we, got, we worked on the car a little bit, and the car was really, really strong uh, for the second half of the race. And then the final restart. Yeah, the, the final restart, restart uh, was I stayed close uh, to Scott Goodyear, um, and I knew my players, Reynard, would be strong for the last few laps. But then when we got close to the to the pace car, I, I jumped, I hit the brakes because uh, you know you can't get by the the pace car before the before the before it gets in the pit, and uh, I knew he, I knew he was gonna get black flagged. So let's talk about, too, your feelings having won the Indianapolis 500. Has it sunk in yet? Oh, it's great. Uh, you, you know, uh, the first part of the race, I, I didn't think we could make it with the two laps down. And I tell you, I'm lucky to be with, with a great team, and everybody just just worked hard. It's, it's the best team out there, and I'm real lucky to be with them. Will we see you back to defend your Indianapolis 500 title in 1996? I don't know yet, but it sure would be a lot of fun. Let's go back to the tower. They did not, by the way. Jacques Villeneuve going to Formula 1, Jack Root on ABC. In 2011, Dan Weldon was running in second place. J.R. Hildebrand, who, by the way, you can read about on my blog at 1075thefan.com and my featuring all of the drivers. Today's entries, J.R. Hildebrand. He hit the wall. Dan Weldon won. Dan Weldon was a two-time winner, and here's how he described it. Welcome back to Victory Lane. How did this happen? Through uh, a, lot of, a lot of hard work and... Uh dedication and commitment from everybody at Brian Herder Autosport. I got to thank, you know, first of all, my wife and family for sticking by me when I didn't have a ride. I've probably not been the, the nicest guy to have been around. I've certainly learned to change diapers very quick and what have you, but 
this is a this is a phenomenal feeling for for like I say myself, my family, for the team. The William Rascal was we, we were we were right there the whole day and uh, it looks good, but it it ran very quick today. So I got to thank William Rast, you know, Curb Records, Big Machine Records, Fourth Size Solutions, Igo, and everybody at Honda. They've uh, they truly stick by me so so much. Uh, they've they've. Uh, they, they, they've never lost faith in me, and uh, I, I really appreciate that, but uh, Firestone too. But I think the most important people here are the fans. I mean, it's it's so good to represent such a, a great race and a great series, and uh, although I'm part-time, it doesn't mean that <laughs> I just love it a little bit. I, lo I love everything about it, and um, for, for the Alzheimer's Association and for the people that have Alzheimer's out there, uh, I'm very privileged to... You know, to, to be a spokesperson for them and, and to represent them and, um, you know, just uh, pray, for, pray for those people that, that have that disease. But it's, um, it's, this is an amazing day, an amazing day. I love the Indianapolis 500. I love everything about it. And uh, I'm so glad to be drinking milk again and to be a two-time winner. You were strong all day. You ran in the top five all day. You were always in the mix. And there were so many scenarios in the final laps. Take me through what you are seeing. Another hug for Dan as he continues to greet his supporters, his friends, his family here in Victory Lane in Indianapolis for the second time. And as he mentioned, right now is only guaranteed race of the year, although I think that might change in the near future. Take me through the last few laps, everything you saw happen. Man, I was just pushing really, really hard. I, I've been, been so close to, to, to winning this race for a second time before, and I just, I just didn't want to give up. Like it's, it's my only race of the year, and uh, I just wanted to do. I wanted to cross the line, knowing uh, when I'm unemployed come tomorrow that I did everything that that I could in the in the one and only race that I had. But. The late, great Dan Weldon in 2011. He was driving for Brian Herta. He was in car number 98, and that was made possible because of an accident involving a rookie from California. That was the 100th year of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Five years later was the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. It was a rookie from California in car number 98 driving for Brian Herta that won the race. His name is Alexander Rossi. He may have to coast across the finish line. Alexander Rossi almost rolling to a dead stop. Twin checkers are out, and the rookie will win the 100th Indianapolis 500-mile race. Alexander Rossi, six months ago, I don't think you even knew you were going to be in a car like this. Today, you're the winner of the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. Yeah. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. I don't even know where to begin. You're right. I mean, in February, I had... I, I wasn't even thinking about IndyCar, and now we've just won the Indy 500, and it's thanks to, to an amazing group of people that, that gave me an opportunity to come here this year, relatively unknown in, in American you know, Junior Formula, and, and they gave me the shot, and I have to thank Michael and Jody and Brian Herta for, for this opportunity and giving me such a wonderful race car all month. Walk us through that final stint. Obviously, you were in the lead. You had to pit off sequence. I think your last lap was 170 miles an hour. You were, you were gunning it for all it was worth. Yeah, no, we, we ran out out of turn four, and we were clutching and coasting it down the back straight and we we knew it was going to be tight but but ryan helped give me a toe to the finish um the last couple of lots there and it was this is an amazing result for the team 
the Firestone Firehawks really good for you today. Yeah, no, the Firestone Firehawks were, were fantastic, and they gave us such a consistent platform, and it was it was been a great tire all month, and it's a privilege to, to drive on such a, a wonderful piece of equipment. So how did that milk taste after 200 laps here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? Um, it tasted, I mean, it tasted better than anything I've ever had, so I'll, I'll forever be a fan of milk, and, um, you know, a huge thank you to, to IndyCar and the to American Dairy Association of Indiana. And you will forever be known as an Indianapolis 500 champion. Congratulations, my friend. Yes, thank you very much. Alexander Rossi, the winner of the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. The- Michael Young on the IMS Radio Network. Mike, I think Alexander Rossi would tell you that as much of just wanting to win is one thing, but I think he'd love to win another one so that he can fully embrace everything that comes with it because he'd be the first to tell you he was just kind of as incredulous as everybody else. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I loved the photographs in Victory Lane that he just had the smile on his face of, like, what just happened, you know? So I, I think I'd love to see him win another one so he could get a chance to really, really, truly enjoy it. But I really enjoyed tonight's all the interviews because you really hear an interesting evolution of the interviews as we went from the 50s to, you know, 2016 there. We'll do it again tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, Beyond the Bricks. Thanks for listening.